0: Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon and be blessed.
1: Acts chapter 4 is what we're going to look at this morning, and we're continuing to take a look at um, the unfulfilled God dreams uh, that He has for us here at Whitechapel Church. I said to the Lord uh, this week, uh, let's move on, let's talk about something else. I feel like that I want to talk about something else, and I know if I want to talk about something else on Sunday morning, I know that the, other people, the people that are a part of the church I want to hear about something else as well. And this is what God I, I said to me. I'll read it from my journal. I wrote down what he said to me in this. As I said, I'm certain, as I'm tired of this, and I want to hear something else, everyone else does as well. This is, this is what God said. How do you think that I feel? These dreams are what I want for my people at Whitechapel. So how do you think that I feel? Answer that, and then you can move on to something else. I said, okay, God, (laughs) I get it. These are God's dreams for us. And it's important that we understand these dreams, that we unpack these dreams, we dissect these dreams, we implement these dreams, we guard these dreams, we fund these dreams, we empower these dreams, and we live out these dreams that God actually has for us. So don't be surprised if we talk about these for months and months and months and months and months and months, months. because God is dreaming for you, Whitechapel. Hear, Hear those words. God who spoke the world into existence, the God who dreamed what earth would actually look like, the God who dreamed that he could pull these atoms and these particles and put them together and create the universe, the God who was dreaming of those things is dreaming for you, Whitechapel Church. And that should bring about a freedom, it should stir in us an excitement, but yet it should also bring about a holy reverence for these dreams that God actually has for us. It's that important. It's that important. And so to share with you again, God's dreams for us as Whitechapel Church, God dreams for unity for us. Unity that we model here and then it's played out in our community. A unity that moves us from being a team of people to God's army of people in the communities where he's planted us. God has given us a dream for, wa- for a Warner Christian Academy of us sending out a countless number over thousands and thousands of of people to influence the world for him to be the people that God has created them to be. Not just in the school, but through the ministries of Whitechapel Church. God is dreaming for us, Whitechapel, that we would become a place where people's chains are broken and they then are delivered and set free. That, I think, is coupled with the dream for for Warner Christian Academy of how we see people take on their God-given identity and then are released into the world to lead others. God's dreaming for us to be a center or to create a center for meeting the needs of this community. God's dreaming for us to become a powerhouse of worship and a powerhouse of prayer. I believe a powerhouse, I think another, is a powerhouse of truth for us as well. This is what God wants us to be. This is who God has said, I envisioned some 90 years ago, Of what Whitechapel would become. I believe that before God laid the foundations of the world. He knew that we would be here today. And he knew what his dreams were for us. And I believe that God is waiting for a body of believers. Hear me. That says I am willing to live out God's dreams. That he has for us together. is Whitechapel Church. Amen? Amen. That's God's dreams for us. And we have to take these and actually live them out. So we focus for a few weeks on unity. We talked last week that we believe that God is calling us into a season of prayer. And we're going to talk about this season of prayer. But the one focus that I I think it's important for us to go back and to take the definition that God gave me of what unity looks like for us at Whitechapel actually is. Unity for us as Whitechapel Church is a group of saved and spirit-filled believers at Whitechapel Church that are focused exclusively on God-given mission that glorifies Jesus by being bound first to Him and then to each other. And so we're going to talk about this definition of unity today, and then we're going to couple it together with prayer. Because what is interesting to me is when we see this lived out, this prayer life lived out in the early church, we see a true definition of unity that's lived out. And so it's no coincidence that God is calling us into a season of prayer, and the first unfulfilled dream that he has for us is unity. Now here's what I want to say, Then you've got to catch this. I don't believe that these dreams of God are dreams that we will ever get to a place where we can say, okay, it's checked off, now let's move on to something else. I believe that these are continuous dreams. They're not fulfilled, and I don't believe that they will be fulfilled until God does one of two things. He either comes back or he decides that Whitechapel Church should no longer be in existence. And so one of those two things are going to happen as we see these dreams played out continuously in the life of Whitechapel Church and in every single one of our ministries. But as we take a look in Acts chapter 4 this morning, I believe the question before we dive into this that we have to answer is how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? If I were to say, we're going to go around the room this morning, and each one of us are are going to give an account for the number of minutes that we prayed, the number of impactful minutes that we prayed this past week, I might venture to say that some of us might get a little bit nervous. Some of us might get a little bit, oh, I hope that he doesn't see me, and start to slip down in our prayer. And I'll tell you, sometimes, sometimes I, too, am guilty. Sometimes... I get so busy with the day-to-day life stuff that I forget, oh, I forgot to spend time with God. And then I get to the evenings, and then I'm like, oh, man, I missed it today. I've got to make sure that I prioritize my time with God tomorrow. And then you get up, and you, it's just natural for us in, in our society to get up and get caught up in the to-do stuff that we have to do. And then we get to the end of the day, and we're tired. We don't focus on our time with God. And then we think, okay, I'm going to do it tomorrow. Listen, if we are to see God's dreams lived out in us and in us as Whitechapel Church, we must make our time with God priority. And we have to give an account for that. So how is your prayer life? What does your prayer life look like this past week? And if you can say today, boy, I blew it this last week, or I, I've never been able to develop that prayer life, here's what I do know. God is ready to forget about all of that and to say, let's start afresh and anew today. God is hungry to spend time with you. God's deepest desire and the purpose for which He created you is not to say, okay, this is a mission. It was to spend time with Him. Take a look at what God did with Adam and Eve in the garden. He didn't create them and say, now go do all of this stuff. No, he said, I want you to spend time with me and then you will be able to do all of this other stuff. And so maybe the purpose for which you were created has been your focus as opposed to the spending time with God that is going to fuel and direct the purpose for which you were created. And you maybe have spent a lot of time focusing on a purpose, and you have missed the creator of that purpose. This morning, God says to you, stop, let's forget the past, and let's start afresh, and let's start anew today. I want you to spend time with me, because that is what he's hungry for. So in Acts chapter 4, I'm sorry, um, yes, in Acts chapter 4, let's take a look, we'll start reading in verse 19. We'll read down to 22. It says, then they called them in again, this is the religious leaders that were upset at a couple of guys named Peter and John. Peter and John were told, we don't want you to go be preaching. We don't want you to go tell everybody about all of this stuff. Remember, Jesus said, I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit. We talked about that the past couple of weeks. Then, when the Holy Spirit comes, you're going to be powered. Notice again what Jesus did here. He did not say, Go do what I told you you need to do. He said, Wait for me. Wait for me. And so these people that had just spent three or so years with Jesus, you would have thought, boy, they were with God in the flesh. If there was anybody that could be empowered to go live out the purpose for which they were created, it could have been those 11 that were left. But no, Jesus didn't tell them to go live it out. He said, I want you to go to Jerusalem, which was the center of their persecution, and I want you to wait for the Holy Spirit to come and imdue you with power to go live out that purpose. So if it was good enough for the disciples to go wait on God, it should be good enough for us to go wait on God. But instead, what we find today are a lot of religious authors that are telling you how to live out your God-given purpose instead of telling you to first sit with the Lord and wait to hear direct from God the way that we see it happening in the early church. Jesus said, wait not go live and then he said as you wait and then you are filled with God's Spirit then you can go live because here's what he knew you cannot hear me you cannot live God's assignment for you if you don't have God's power for you you can go live your own life mission with your own power but you will never live God's mission without God's power We cannot live God's dreams for us as a church without God's power for us as a church. And so it's important for us to first hear from God and wait on Him. And so Peter and John here, just before Acts chapter 4, I think it's at the end of Acts chapter 2, they had just seen a crippled man healed, about 40-something years old. They walked by, and you may remember the verse... The guy wants to be healed. He's asking for money. And then Peter and John say to the guy, Silver and gold, we don't have any. But what we have, we're going to give to you. The guy was healed. And here they then get called before the religious leaders. And in verse 19, it says, They called them in again. This is another time. And commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, Judge for yourself whether it is right in God's sight to obey you rather than God. For we cannot help speaking about what we have seen and heard. And after further threats, they let them go. They could not decide how to punish them, because all the people were praising God for what had happened. For the man who was miraculously healed was over 40 years old. Isn't this great? I, could, I love reading between the lines of, of, of this section of Scripture, of, of a lot of Scripture. Scripture doesn't tell us every single detail that happened. And it just says here, in three words, at the beginning of verse 33, after further threats. I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall here in Acts 4.23. I would have loved to have heard the threats and seen the boldness of Peter and John saying, you want us to listen to you above God? And they're threatening them, and they're threatening them, and they're threatening them. They didn't say, go out and do, you couldn't go out and teach about this. They said, we don't want you to go teach in the name of Jesus. Because they knew that there was their power. Because they had received the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 1. In Acts chapter 2, the the multitude was saved. Then again, we see in Acts chapter 3, a multitude of about additional 5,000 people get saved. They knew the power was not James and John. They knew the power was not Peter and John. They knew the power was in the name of Jesus Christ. And here they're saying, don't go preach in the name of Jesus Christ. And then let's look at what happens in verse 23. They threaten them. They've gotten called in multiple times. They get threatened and threatened and threatened. Don't go out and do this. And then in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. This is what they prayed: "Sovereign God," they said, "You made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why do these nations rage against, or why do these nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against His anointed one." In verse 31, after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. It's interesting to me what Peter and John do immediately after they're released. Immediately after they were released. It says in verse 23, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people. They went back to the church that's awesome for us that should be directional for us that is why God established the church with the power of the Holy Spirit so that as we come together in unity we're able to live out the mission or the assignment that God has given to us and we will never be able to do it on our own all by ourselves isolated They were just told after being called in again, don't go preaching in the name of Jesus Christ. And the first thing that we see Peter and John do is they go back to the believers and get them together and say, listen, we have to pray. We've got to come together in prayer. They gathered the believers and they prayed. Now, what kind of prayer did they pray? I believe... We have to understand the prayer that they prayed after they were taken off assignment and before they went out to live out the assignment that God had for them. They did not pray, God, we want you to keep us safe. They did not, and th- that prayer is not wrong sometimes. But they did not pray, God, we want you to put a big hedge around us to protect us. They did not pray selfish prayers in this moment. They did not focus on what they didn't have, and they did not focus on the persecution that had come to them. They did not pray comfy, safe, trouble-free prayers. Instead, in verse 29 and verse 30, this is what they prayed. Now, Lord, consider their threats, and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness, Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. Do you catch the spiritual boldness with which Peter and John and the believers were praying here in Acts chapter 4? I think I probably would have been praying against the, the religious leaders and the elders and saying, God, take them out of power. Get rid of them so we can be who you want us to be. That's the boldness that I probably would have been praying for. But they didn't pray that direction. Instead, they prayed, just consider their threats. That's the the words that they used. Two words, consider their threats. That's That's the only focus that they gave to the opposition in their prayers. And then what did they pray for? They prayed for boldness. They prayed for miracles and wonders in the name of Jesus Christ. Maybe we've lost our power as a church because we've started to focus on what we would say is opposition instead of the power and miracles in the name of Jesus that the early church was focusing on. And maybe God is calling us to stop focusing on the work of the enemy and start focusing on the power and presence of Jesus Christ. Church, hear me. If we are to be who God desires, to us, desires for us to be, we will never do it without His power and His presence. And the early church did not pray about the opposition. They didn't pray the opposition would be removed. They didn't pray condemnation down on the opposition. They just said, God, consider them. Now do what it is you want to do with us. That's the prayer that we have to pray as a church There was a spiritual urgency to obey Jesus' assignment no matter the cost. And even if the opposition kept coming, and it did, of which they were all, except for John, martyred for, they gave their life for it willingly because of this spiritual urgency with the power of Jesus Christ driving them to fulfill the assignment We cannot, I'll say it again, we cannot live out God's assignment without God's power. We cannot live out God's dreams without God's power. And so our prayer has to change and start being God, give us your Holy Spirit's power in order to live out the assignments, the unfulfilled dreams that that you have for us individually and you have for us as a church, as Whitechapel Church together. We have to start changing our prayers so that he will start fulfilling his dreams in us and then through us. This is why it's important for you to be a part of our night of prayer and worship on May 23rd, two weeks from today. Because we have to be like the believers here in Acts chapter 4. They came together. Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all of this stuff. When they heard this, they raised their voices in prayer. Here's the amazing part to me, though. If you take each one of these verses of this prayer that's been dissected and placed for us so nicely in verses, you see verse 24 all the way down to verse 28. These four verses here say nothing about anything other than who God is. Catch this. This is what they prayed when they first first got together. This is how they prayed. Sovereign Lord, you made heaven and earth and the sea and everything in them. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. Why did the nations rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth take their stand and the rulers gather together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Here's what they did. They focused on praising God. Then they focused on the persecution that Jesus experienced. And then, not focusing on their own persecution, then they prayed two verses and then summed it up with a verse. The majority of their prayer, well over two-thirds of their prayer, was not focusing on their own circumstances. Instead, it was focusing on the power of God. And then they said, in verse 29 and 30, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of the holy servant, Jesus Christ. You see, they had the prayer properly in a proper order. And I don't know that I would pray in this order if I just got called in and I was told, don't go preach in the name of Jesus. I would start to pour out to God how miserable it was for me. And why is it, God, you placed me in this situation? And oh, and by the way, can you empower me and get me out of this situation? They didn't pray that. They didn't pray that. Why? Because they knew that were empowered by the holy spirit to live out the assignment that god had for them listen to me we cannot focus on our hardships and our struggles until we have focused on the miraculous power of the holy spirit living inside of us that's what the early church did and if we want to be as, as powerful as the early church then we have to start living the way that the early church did this is a part of our unity as a church This is a part of who God has called us to be. Again, I want to show you this definition of unity, and you'll see it exactly how it was played out here in the Holy Church, in the the early church. It's unity. Saved and spirit filled believers at Whitechapel Church. We could say that there were saved and spirit filled believers here in the early church. And what were they focused on? They were focused exclusively on on the God-given mission that glorifies Jesus by being bound first to God and then to each other when God gave me this definition a month or so ago I had not looked at how this was played out here in Acts chapter 4 I was looking at what was happening in the early church in Acts 1 and Acts chapter 2 and then in the past couple of weeks he stirred in me dive deeper in what's going on here in the early church look at how they are living out unity and look at where their focus is and their focus is living out as saved and Holy Spirit filled believers that are focused exclusively on the God-given mission they were not focused on the persecution they were not focused on the hardships and the struggles and they were not focusing on the work of the enemy instead they were focusing on their God-given mission that united them with God and then together as a body of believers. When we do that, Whitechapel, I promise you, we will start to see the Spirit at work fulfilling God's dreams for us as individuals and us together as a body of believers. So I ask you again this morning, how is your prayer life? How is your prayer life? And this is why it's so important for you to have a rich, powerful time with God because you will never live out God's plan or assignment without God's power for you. So we have to be bold in missional prayer together. We have to be bold in missional prayer together. That's what we see taking place in Acts chapter 4. They prayed with a boldness about the mission or the assignment that God actually had for them. There are three sections here that I've highlighted for you that I want you to take note of. I'm not going to preach about each one of these, but I just want you to take note of these. And I want to ask, as you pray and sit with the Lord this week, that you focus, on one, or you focus on these three things. One, they prayed with a boldness. You see the boldness that they had here in Acts chapter 4. They prayed a missional prayer. They were not praying, God, please lead us, please guide us. No, they knew their mission, and they prayed for their mission. They prayed that God would empower that mission through His Holy Spirit in them. And then the key part of this was they were together. They were together. Now, why are these three things important? Because the work of the enemy is to isolate you so that he can devour you. Jesus said in John 10:10, my favorite verse, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. How is it that the enemy does that work? He does it by isolating you off by yourself. Look at how the the early believers were sent out. They were always sent out accompanied by other believers. At least one and at times often more than one. What happened when Peter and John were released from the religious leaders and told don't go pray in Jesus name? What did they do? They went back and they got together. Listen, that's why Sunday night, May 23rd, is going to be so important for us. Because we have to come together in prayer the way the early church came together in prayer in Acts chapter 4. We have to be together to receive God's power to live out God's assignment for us. They were bold, praying missional prayers, and they did it together. Because God has united us together for a purpose, and that is missional. And then we have to pray missional prayers in boldness to be who God desires for us to be. So I looked up this word together. Um, I, I don't like in, in sermons to dive deep and taking a look at words and to start to devour it. I'm, I'm not that kind of preacher. There are some who are, and they, those preachers do it amazing. But the one word that captured me in this is the word together. And so I wanted to know a little more about that word. And I, 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 I don't have the wisdom in, in taking a look at this. I had to look all of this up. And so here's what I discovered about them coming together, where they got together in verse 24. When they heard this, they raised their voices together with God in prayer. This is what a Greek dictionary says about this word. It's a compound word that's made up of the word humo, which means together, and thumos, which means to rush along with wrath, fierceness, or a passion. The best way to understand this word is that they rushed along with passion together in passionate prayer. Listen, that's who God wants us to be. He wants us to get moving in the right direction with passionate missional prayer together, united as one body with one mission, serving and honoring the one true God, Jesus Christ. Here's how one Greek Greek scholar described this word together. He said the image here is almost a musical picture. It's a number of notes that are sounded which while each note is different, it harmonizes in pitch and tone as the instruments of a great concert under the direction of a concert master conducting. So the Holy Spirit blends together the lives of the members of Christ's church. Isn't that awesome? Isn't it amazing that that's what God is doing with us Whitechapel? He's uniting us together as a beautiful orchestra where He is the conductor and we all play different instruments and we play on different scales and we play different notes but it harmonizes in beauty because we have the power of the Holy Spirit in our lungs leading us forward in mission united together. And if you've ever heard an amazing orchestra, who are skilled in their craft, they are beautiful. And that's what God desires for us. As we come together, together, fueled by the power of the Holy Spirit. The early church kept fulfilling God's dreams because they were bold in praying missional prayers together. And then if you see what continues to happen here throughout Acts chapter 5, and then we get into Acts chapter 6, miracles kept happening. They prayed about it here in Acts chapter 4. Miracles kept happening. The The work of the Holy Spirit kept empowering them. Opposition came. They gave their lives for it, but they weren't focused on that. They were focused on the mission with the boldness together in prayer. God's will was being done because they prayed bold, missional prayers together. But here's what is amazing to me. Long before we get to Acts chapter 4, and we don't know the number of days or weeks in between this here, but long before we get to Acts chapter 4, if we were to go back and look at Acts chapter 2, verse 42, this is what the Scripture tells us. We read this two weeks ago. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and what? And to prayer. If in Acts chapter 4 they were praying bold missional prayers, I guarantee you in Acts chapter 2 they were praying bold missional prayers as well, together. Before they got to this place, they were gathered together in prayer. Here's what I want to caution us as we move forward in the mission that God actually has for us. It's always going, the enemy is going to always bring opposition to the work of God advancing. It always happens. So we may as well prepare ourselves for it. The question is going to be, what are we going to do in those moments when the enemy's opposition comes? Are we going to give up? Or are we going to gather together again and start praying more bold missional prayers? Are we going to gather together and lick our wounds and say, oh, it's just so horrible. I can't believe the government is taking away this right. I can't believe the government's doing this. And I can't believe we can do this. And I can't believe this person's doing this. And it's it's just way too much. Are we going to focus on that? Or are we going to focus on our bold missional prayers gathered together the way that the disciples prayed in Acts 2 and again in Acts 4? And these aren't the only two places they're praying this. You can go all throughout the work of the early church. You can see in Paul's writings where he's calling people back to bold missional prayers gathered together. We can see in the early church that they were moving forward and not focusing on the work of the enemy. Because here's what we have to understand. This is where we have to catch this if you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, you're not ready to be used of God. Now think about that. The enemy always brings opposition to God's will. And if you're not ready for that opposition to your obedience, then you're not ready to be used of God. Now, we're not going to go out and start looking for opposition, we're not going to go out and start to drum up some opposition, the opposition's gonna come and you know what we've experienced some of that together and that's okay because we're not focusing on the opposition we're focusing on the one who holds the power to defeat the opposition because the purpose for which Jesus came was to destroy the works of the opposition and that's the power that we have living inside of us we're not focusing on the enemy We are focusing after our bold missional prayers together on the work that God has empowered us to do. And if you're not ready to face opposition for your obedience to God, then you're not ready to be used by God. You've got to get ready for it now. You've got to make up your mind now so that when opposition comes, it doesn't phase you. It doesn't stop you. You're like, well, who cares? Who cares they're not for us? who cares they don't want to go with us who cares that they want to work against us and who cares that they're trying to stop the work that we're doing we don't care about that we we care about the mission for which God has called us together we're not gonna focus on the opposition we are going to focus on the one who has crushed the opposition but we've got to get ready for that and if we don't resolve this then the enemy will always always steal Kill and destroy each and every single one of us. Because here's what I know timid Christians have a tiny God, and bold Christians have a big God. You know what was happening here in Acts chapter 4? They were serving a big and powerful God. When they were to sing the words that we sang this morning, what a powerful name it is, they were living it out after they finished the song. They were living in the power of God. Because verse 32 or verse 31 tells us after they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. I have started praying this week that we would not serve a tiny God. But we would catch the power of the God we serve that we see lived out in Acts 4.31 and I believe when we gather together in two weeks on Sunday night May 23rd that we are going to experience the environment the spiritual environment surrounding this church shaken to the point that as we are filled with God's Holy Spirit that we then begin to speak the Word of God boldly so that that wall of hearts out there is filled up like that because we have been together praying bold missional prayers and filled with His Holy Spirit to go out and live that which God has called each and every one of us to do. We're going to face opposition. And the opposition, I don't care about. It's guaranteed to come. I don't care if they pass a law tomorrow that says we can't gather together in this place and pray and worship God anymore. I don't care if other churches start preaching about that which we are doing, as long as we are doing the will of God. I don't care what anybody else does. All I care is that we gather together praying bold, missional prayers so that we are filled with the power of the Holy Spirit and then we live out Acts 4.31 to begin to speak the Word of God boldly. Listen, we can't worry about what takes place outside of our fellowship. We can only make sure that we are on mission doing that which God has called us to do, to live out his unfulfilled dreams for us as a body of believers. So how do we pray that? We have to ask ourselves, how is it that we pray this way? The pattern has been given to us in Acts chapter 4. We see the power of the Holy Spirit at work, but we have to make sure that we gather together at times. We have to gather together in prayer at times together. And then we go live live it out. And then we see the practice of these disciples and the apostles coming back to make sure that they're gathered together in prayer. They go live out their mission, they come back and they spend time together in prayer. They go live out their mission and they go spend time together in prayer. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Please pick up a copy of the prayer and scripture journal that's out of the Welcome Center or download it online. Please do that. Do that. So that we are focused on the Word of God and we are sitting in the presence of God. And then as you sit down with that journal, as you sit down with those that guided Scripture and then that prayer journal, and you're answering those questions, what I want to encourage you to do is find some other believers that you get together with to then read, hey, this is what I feel God is saying to me. Write down what God's saying to you. If you were to ever get together with a king or a president or somebody that just blew your mind away and they were to say, hey, I want to tell you specifically this. Wouldn't you feel compelled to write it down? So if the God of the universe, as you're sitting with him, says, hey, this is what I want to tell you, wouldn't it be important for you to write that down? So then you could come back to that and you don't forget it. That's all I, when I talk about a prayer journal, that's all I'm talking about. Sometimes I'll write down, as I shared with you at the beginning, I'll write down a question for God in my journal or some things that I'm, t- that I'm discussing with God, and then I'll write down, God, this is what I think it is you're saying to me. And then he'll confirm whether, that is you, whether that's him or that you've kind of gone off out in left field. He'll confirm that, and that's okay. But as we start to implement this practice of sitting with Him, and as we start hearing from God, it'll become much, much easier to be able to hear God's voice in the moment so that you don't have to get away and clear all of the noise around you. We have to make sure that we are prioritizing our time with God. And that is the reason that we gave you these prayer journals so that you do that. So then when we come together, we can, we're able to get our journals and we're able to say, yep, this is what God's saying to me. And you know what I believe is going to happen. I believe the things that God says to each one of us are going to start to be confirmed in those that are around us because the same God that speaks to me is the same God that speaks to you. And he's not going to tell you to go left and tell me to go right unless he intends for us to go in different directions. When we're together in unity, he's going to tell all of us, go left. And we wait to make sure that we've all heard from the Lord. How do you pray these prayers? You sit with the Lord. And you make sure that you are making a record of that which God has told you. So then when we come together and we're praying bold, missional prayers together, then we're just sharing from our journal and then powerfully praying. And then the promise is always, his Holy Spirit will come. So my challenge to you, Whitechapel Church, is to live out Acts chapter four, to live out the words that the believers actually prayed together here when they were praying bold, missional prayers. So yeah, we know opposition's coming. We don't care about the opposition, because the God we serve is more powerful than the opposition. It was proven on the cross when the veil of the temple was torn in two. It was proven when Jesus defeated the consequence of sin and got up and walked out of the tomb. He was dead and buried and he defeated it. And that's the power with which we live. So we're not worried about the opposition. We're worried about what God is saying to us. So are you ready to make this commitment? Are you ready to get so serious about your prayer life? and your time with Him, that nothing is going to deter you, that nothing is going to distract you, that nothing is going to take away from the time with the Creator who is hungry, hungry to spend time with you. As we close this morning, I ask that you make that commitment. That this not just be a season of prayer that we do periodically in the life of the church but that this would be a season of prayer that produces a commitment the way that we see the early church's commitment in Acts 2, 3, 4, 5, and 6. And it can continue on. Are you ready to make that commitment? If you are, then when we stand and sing in just a moment, I ask that you voice that to God. You're not making a commitment to me. Peter and John did not make commitments to each other outside of they were united together as believers. They first made a commitment to God, and then their commitment was to gather together. But you've got to make that commitment to God first. Yes, God, I'm serious about my time with you. Yes, I'm serious that I want your Holy Spirit's power to compel us forward in fulfilling your dreams for each and every one of us, and together as Whitechapel Church. As we stand and sing in just a moment, make that commitment to God. Make that commitment first to him and then make that commitment to those that are gathered here as
0: Whitechapel Church. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you continue to join us as we lean into God's word together. Until next time, have a great week and be blessed.